0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place where we tease apart what it means to be a conscious parent and a conscious human on the wild ride of parenting teenagers. I am your host, Casey O'Borty. I am a positive discipline lead trainer. Yes, that's new and exciting. I'm a positive discipline lead trainer, parent coach, and mama walk in the path right next to you as I imperfectly raise my own two teens. Joyful courage is all about grit, growth on the parenting journey, relationships that provide a sense of connection and meaning, as well as influential tools that support everyone in being their best selves. As you listen in on today's show, pay attention to how grit shows up in the conversation. Also, if you're not already on my email list, now is the perfect time to join. I pop into my subscribers inbox with stories, podcast news, and offers every week. My hope is to make you laugh a little or at least relate (laughs) to what I have to share and keep you updated on all the joyful courage goodness. If you're into it, go to joyfulcourage.com slash email and sign up. Signing up right now will get you the seven tips for connecting with your teens. I'll share with you seven tips over seven days that if you put them into practice will make a difference in your relationship with your kids. Each day you'll get an action step and a bonus step if you're feeling like an overachiever. Again, that's joyfulcourage.com slash email. Sign up and stay more connected. Thank you so much for listening. I am deeply honored to lead you, so grateful to hear that what I put out matters to you, and so excited to keep it coming. If you love this show, please take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Let your friends know you're listening and find value in the podcast. Tag me, and I will reshare it in my media channels as well. All right, enjoy the show. Hi, listeners. I am so excited to introduce my guest for today. Her name is Liza Blass. Liza is the host of the Very Happy Stories podcast. She brings hope, empowerment, and inspiration to her audience by shining light on complex topics impacting many families today. Liza's stories are inspired by her own experiences raising two kids both suffering from conditions like depression, anxiety, ADHD, OCD, and even Lyme disease. Liza shares her best practices through her Very Happy Stories podcast, speaking engagements and personal coaching where she serves as a thrive guide, I love that, thrive guide to parents who are struggling. Before launching her podcast, Liza was a successful commercial real estate broker specializing in the development of medical facilities, surgical centers, and built to suite, built to suite, built to suit, <laughs> built to suit. I'm so corporate, like I know all the language. Anyway, hi. Hi, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad hi, you're here. Casey.
1: I am so glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Fill in the gaps. Tell us a little bit about how you went from the built to suit properties to your podcast and the coaching and the work that you're doing.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I was really um, in this corporate world of build-to-suit properties. (laughs) Not build to suite
0: something different.
1: (laughs) Um, You know, I was very successful, but behind the scenes at home, I was kind of living this secret life of Mm. suffering both of my kids just as you had mentioned have been impacted by so many struggles mental illness and chronic illness and it's something that I didn't talk about mm-hmm. and I was really in uh, in the in on the sidelines Going through this separate journey of healing. And just when I thought it couldn't get any harder, the universe dropped a big old lemon on us in the form of Lyme disease. And that really was the moment where I decided to shift gears and really embark on this Lyme journey and really focus on getting my kids healed and healing our family at the same time and helping others. And so shortly after, I just, I was like, I got to share my stories. I I don't know how to share them. I got to share them. I had so much written down in my journal Mm -hmm. and I decided to share my stories through a podcast. Mm -hmm. And that's really how it all started. So let's go back in time
0: a little bit. So you're doing your career, you're doing your thing. First of all, I don't even know what, like, what is Lyme disease? What is, I don't know what the nuances of Lyme disease. I mean, I know it's a disease, but I don't really know what it entails. Like, what does that mean when you find out that that's in your family? And was it both your kids, everybody?
1: Yes, it was both both my kids. It was both my kids. And you know what? I can answer the question of what, what it, how it presents itself by just maybe even going down a timeline for you. Yeah, And you knowing up front, that the root cause of a lot of our problems was Lyme disease, and it just went undiagnosed. And so is the story for so many people and children and families in America. And when you ask somebody, Well, what does it mean when you have Lyme disease? Well, it's different for everybody. Some people have joint pain, some people have migraines, some people are debilitated with chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. For my kids, the biggest impact was brain inflammation. Mm. And so I could tell you early on for my son, he's now 12 in the seventh grade. He started having issues as early as the second grade were kind of like one day. He just had crazy anxiety and he kind of had never been right since. It started with school refusal and some panic in second grade. He was also complaining about his leg during basketball. We thought maybe he was just trying to get out of sports, right? We didn't. I'm like, your leg's fine. Your leg is fine. (laughs) Third grade, he was in full-fledged school refusal. By the time we got to fourth grade, Casey, it was the year he entered his first... Of two partial hospitalization programs for anxiety, depression, school refusal, and suicidal ideation. Mm. He was nine. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and so he's kind of been, you know, working this whole time with his mental health. He also has ADHD. So it's just been very difficult because there's a lot of shaming that goes on with children that have ADHD and learning differences in the school system. And it it, we, he really just couldn't catch a break. He also had a lot of physical problems with sleep apnea, restless legs terrible sleep and and my daughter started She she's always been anxious and mm-hmm. so um that's that's nothing new for her but by the time she was in sixth grade things were getting really bad mm-hmm. seventh grade she had a full-fledged eating disorder mm. and so i did a program with her as well her eating disorder was tied to ocd and Mm -hmm. panic attacks. Now, that OCD component was very much tied to Lyme disease, but we didn't know it at the time. And she's now a freshman in high Mm -hmm. school. And so here we are working with psychiatrists, utilizing the best interventions medically with medication, therapy, all different kinds of therapy. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And my kids were never getting better Mm -hmm. And they would get a little bit better, like the first two to three months, and then they would slide back and get worse Mm -hmm. until my daughter started having severe hallucinations. Oh, my gosh. Lisa, can we just pause
0: for a minute? I just want to be like, Mama. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to have one child who's really struggling but both of your kids i mean i'm thinking about the ages that you're talking about and remembering Young. you how mm-hmm. you told me they're age different like this is all both of these things are happening simultaneously
1: yeah they are. They were kind of ping-ponging. Yeah. You know, I feel like sometimes children get a sense of like, when you have too much on your plate, they'll really try because they, they really they'll don't want to burden you. They will <laughs> yeah, rain no, 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 yeah. their shit in. <laughs> and as soon as I will get one in a program and work yeah. and then out of the program, then the other one, It really what I was doing was creating space for the Mm -hmm. other one to now fall apart. Right. Because they couldn't hold it together anymore. So there was a ping pong balance Mm -hmm. for a good four years. Oh my goodness. Mama. Back and forth. And like, you know what? You're not using that psychiatrist anymore because he's got a better one. We're going over here. Right. And I just built this network of practitioners Mm -hmm. over the years. Like, did you you name it, we did it.
0: Yeah. Did you find... Well, I love DBT. I talk about DBT. Oh, I, yeah. bet, I bet you guys yeah. did that.
1: We did um, EMDR. Mm-hmm. We did ERP, the exposure response stuff mm-hmm. for OCD. Now, we've got every acronym under the sun, <sighs> I feel, these days. <laughs> How did you keep it together? Honestly, Casey, it was the work that gave me a place of my own to... Focus on to focus on, too. So I would tap in and tap out, yeah, um, and balance myself out so that I didn't just work mental health 24 seven. I would go really hard, especially if I needed to find something for them. Like every time we had to go back into program, Mm -hmm. I'd work really hard and qualify places for my kids. And once we got situated, then I would tap out a little bit and then go right back into work. And so I think that that balance Mm -hmm. helped sustain my mental endurance.
0: Okay. Cause that sounds like, I mean, I've had, I have my own journey with that and with one kid Mm -hmm. and you know, it's, it's an, we were laughing before we hit record about like, okay, well, look at what the universe thinks we're capable of. (laughs) Like does what I preach really Mm -hmm. work? Right. And it's that choosing in and being willing to, recognize when it's time to tap out recognize and i and i'm also curious cuz i know i work with a lot of parents and and my own experience as well of finding providers is mm-hmm. a full-time job where are you where are you located i'm located in the chicago
1: suburbs okay. so we so do you have, have a lot city. of amenities yeah, mm-hmm.
0: awesome. yeah. cuz that was really hard for me was finding it took a long time and wait lists were like i mean oh, what's they the still point are. What's yeah. the point in telling people that there's a year long wait list? Like, just take yeah. yourself off the internet for a while, please. Right. I right. mean, right. Or provide other referrals right. in the meantime, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I interrupted yeah. you. You no, were no. talking about your Anytime. daughter. And yes. now, and, and so here they're having all these things, all these mm-hmm. unbelievable things happening. Yes. What was the what was the moment of like of Lyme disease being the I'll tell you how how I got there. Tell
1: me. The hallucinations were happening so frequently.
0: And like what does that mean? Like what kind of hallucinations was she having? Auditory,
1: physical, and visual. So at its worst, she would literally be attacked by an entity. Oh that gosh. did not exist that we don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'd be sweating and crying and screaming. Oh. It was bad. I mean, it's so these types of things like even created PTSD for my son sure. then. And so there's this ping-pong, right? Yeah. Of each of their hardships and struggles. The other one feels. I mean, they're both very sensitive creatures, and so am I. And so there's been a lot of healing that's needed to take place. Yeah. Um, but How I got to Lyme disease is by sharing my story. I'm one of those people that learned to really get help. I can't live in isolation and I can't hide my reality. And I started being very open to people and to anyone that would listen. And I also started kind of like opening my network of reaching out to other moms. Mm -hmm. And that is what got me to Lyme disease because I shared my story with a woman who is, she was like an acquaintance, but now she's a really good friend of mine. At the time, she was an acquaintance and she said, "Um, Liza, I don't mean to make you jump down a rabbit hole, but you really should look into Lyme disease I have a friend whose daughter presents in a really similar way and she has Lyme. Wow. And when she said that to me, it resonated. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, I do need to look into that. And I did. And I learned that even um, when we talk about hallucinations, I learned on the internet that one of the first lines of defense that they treat somebody with schizophrenia is antibiotics. Oh really? Yes. Why is that? It's the craziest thing. But there is this connection between and 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 maybe people are just being misdiagnosed even with mm-hmm. schizophrenia with mm-hmm. schizoaffective because mm-hmm. there because of the hallucination component, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's and what I, I was
0: thinking when you were talking yes, about it. I was like, well, was she, is she was she yes, schizophrenic? Yes. I
1: actually th- speaking of that, um, I took my daughter to one of the top university hospitals in the nation here in Chicago, Mm -hmm. had my daughter do a full evaluation. And I said, I am bringing her here because I want to know if she has schizophrenia or Mm -hmm. schizoaffective. I want her to have the best protocol possible. Sure. sure. And information. Yes. And she came to the conclusion that my daughter had just really, really high Mm -hmm. anxiety. And at baseline, my daughter was like at a 10. She's like, she does not fit the profile. So, you know, I actually worked with a Chinese medicine doctor already mm-hmm. just because we had all these other sure. issues of like chronic fatigue, constipation, a lot of physical ailments okay. that like the doctors couldn't help us with. Yeah. And my Chinese medicine doctor said, Oh, yes. You must do a Lyme test. You're right. We need to do that. She had the kit in her office. It's a special test called Igenix. It's not your standard Western blot. Mm -hmm. The Western blot is so, um, it's just not accurate. So we did Igenix and she had Lyme disease and co-infections. And so once she came back positive, I tested my son and he came back too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, there is that moment of relief where Mm -hmm. you start realizing I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, that I'm and I and I'm a good parent. You know, it wasn't the parenting. Yes. Um, and we we just went to treatment and um and that's kind of and then that's kind of started its own journey right there. But that's kind of, you know, being open and sharing my story is kind of what got us where we needed to be.
0: Yeah. Well, and probably is also getting others. I mean, obviously you continuing to share on a higher level with a bigger platform is supporting others too. I think. Yes. Yeah. And, I, you know, I kind of want to say God bless people like you and me who aren't ashamed or afraid of being vulnerable and open and transparent because, you know, and I'm just saying this for those of you that are listening who feel alone and, you know, feel like you're like I like to say, you're not in your own private freak show. OK, you're <laughs> exactly. not. That's and so find true. your people, find Liza, find me. So, okay, so you find out, yes, Lyme mm-hmm. disease, whoa, mm-hmm. okay, and you start mm-hmm. treatment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, first of all, is Lyme disease just one of those random things like, you know, my husband last year was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is blood cancer, and they're basically like, there's no reason why. There's no, like, correlation to lifestyle or anything. Is Lyme disease like
1: that? Or is it is it catchy? Yeah. Uh, You know what? Or do they know? It's a big mystery. They know, but they don't really talk about it. Um, It can be transmitted by a tick, but you know the truth is it's so much more rampant than that. You can get it from a spider bite. You can actually even get it from, I mean, mosquitoes. I mean, it's it's like a whole other rabbit hole, but the biggest, biggest defense for Lyme, besides just like a bug spray and like wearing long clothing and covering yourself, Is having a healthy immune system. Mm -hmm. And so many people with Lyme disease don't have healthy immune systems. And that's where I believe having anxiety and depression kind of sets you up to being a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. Because it stresses your immune system. Mm -hmm. Now, I have an autoimmune, I have Hashimoto. So, you know, I'm working with a stressed immune system that's not up you know, it's not like the strongest. And I've talked to so many moms that have kids with Lyme disease. And it's so interesting to see that so many moms have autoimmunes. Mm. And so you do wonder, are we passing some type of immune deficiency to our kids?
2: Mm.
1: Who knows? Who are playing with ticks and... No, you know, kidding. my kids were just the kind kidding. that were like running in the grass and rolling down hills and like playing in creeks and like, yeah. I don't know. We yeah. don't know. My, my son went camping with my husband. My daughter went to summer camp, yeah. you know, it's just, but I think a lot of kids have those same experiences, but their immune systems are just stronger. Sure.
0: Sure. So moving forward, you guys go into treatment and what is, and, and when, what are you seeing with the symptoms of their Ugh. kids, like what
1: was was it dramatic? What was it like? Well, um, it's terrible,
2: actually. Mm.
1: It's a chronic Lyme is very sad because you have this whole other institution n- invalidating that it even exists. You know, if you get a tick bite and a rash, they'll put you on antibiotics and they'll treat you and you'll be done. But if it kind of manifests like it did for my kids where you Mm -hmm. never had a bullseye rash and it just kind of was like a slow and steady thing, Mm -hmm. you can't be treated in the Western medicine world. So you have to find special doctors like LLMDs, so they are Lyme literate MDs, Chinese medicine, functional medicine. Anyway, the regimen is really either herbs, an herbal protocol when you're chronic or antibiotics. I did both for my kids. And it's kind of like when you have cancer, the chemotherapy makes you sick mm-hmm. and it makes you feel worse. Mm-hmm. That's like what it's like for treating Lyme. You're killing off Borrelia bacteria and now you have this thing called die-off and it really makes you feel worse. So long story uh, short, the journey did get worse. God. But we are kind of restarting. My daughter, actually I just got back from an international trip with my daughter. She did whole body hyperthermia, which Ooh. is amazing. Is that like the cold um, bath? <laughs> it's actually the hot Zap. It's oh. hyperthermia. Oh god. So you're it. sedated and they heat you up to between 107 and 109 and it <gasps> kills Lyme disease. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And where did she have to go to get that done? We went to Mexico wow. out of all places. You could go to Mexico or Germany. Wow. Um, and it which is a journey all in itself. So she sure. is on the upswing. She's doing amazing. My son, I would love to take him there. He's Mm -hmm. not ready. So we're taking a break from his treatment and starting back up again in like two weeks. Um, he's kind of pulsing and taking a break, but, Mm -hmm. um, we're still in it. We're still in it. We're on the upswing, but he's still in treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Mama. I know. I know, but you know, you you you'd be surprised how the struggles of your children get you where you need to be. Oh yeah. You no, know, I've had oh, to yeah. show up. I've had to so much of helping them. Is me working on myself, mm-hmm. healing myself, dealing with my own demons, getting over all the things that hurt me in the past. Because I need to be the most empowered version of myself. Oh, yeah, I need to to feel and believe that they're going to be okay. That you guys we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. I have to believe that and walk yeah. that walk to raise their vibration. Yeah. Because I can't jump down the rabbit hole with them. Right. Of like misery and sorrow. Right, and, right. right. So, and there's a choice there, but there is a
0: choice. Uh, and that's that's what's so fascinating to me, you know, hearing your story, knowing my own story, knowing the stories of so many people that I work with, you know, and, and friends and family and just watching from the outside, looking in the way that people decide how they're gonna move through life challenges. Like there's, right. I really there's always a choice and there's an opportunity. You know, it's not so much like your story. I mean, it's still a struggle, you know? My husband Mm -hmm. still is in cancer treatment and my goal is like, okay, so what does peace feel like inside of this, Mm -hmm. right? How can I be in peace, at peace, whatever that means to me? I mean, to me, that just means not in you know, dysregulation. Peace means being in acceptance. Peace means like allowing life to unfold and trusting that everything is temporary. And I mean, and I'm hearing that in what you're saying as well. I mean, you have every right and reason to be like, to have chosen, you just fall apart. Right. Mm -hmm. And you didn't.
1: Well, I had moments where I did fall apart. I had moments like on my knees in the kitchen being like, make this stop. Why are you doing this? You know, and everybody should give themselves the permission to fall apart. But you know what? You just got to get back up. Right. It's all about getting back up. And I do want to give my kids the space to fall apart because when you see your friends, you know, going to parties, well, not now in this COVID world, but right. have, being kids and having that robbed from you and not playing sports and, and having that typical life, mm-hmm. it, it is sad. And, mm-hmm. and you you do have to grieve those moments. But that being said, we still have great cards, Like we still have so many good things. We just need to uncover those and lean into those. And I know for my daughter, especially Casey, she is so empowered for being so young. Hmm. She's not going to put up with anyone's shit. Mm -hmm. She's not going to be ever pressured to do anything she doesn't want to do. She's just lived such a struggle and survived. And yeah. I know that when she goes off to college or grows up, that she's going to be okay, that she can handle it because yeah. she's been through. And that's a gift. Yeah. When I mean, that is such a gift to be like, I trust my daughter. She's going to be fine. No, I really, really trust her. I really, really mean it. She's yeah. going to make good decisions. What a gift. Yeah. that is yeah. to have. Huge.
0: Well, I feel the same way, like about this last year and you know the mental health struggles that have shown up and the you know my husband's stuff like we didn't know how rock solid we all were right you know until confronted with all of this so i love that and i and i do really appreciate you saying you know that it's when i say there's a choice to fall apart or not fall apart i i want everyone to hear me when i say that doesn't mean that not falling apart you don't have days or even, you know, sure. multiple days of that whole, like, I don't want this, I this is too much, you know? And, but again, there's that choice point
1: mm-hmm. of,
0: okay, great, I see that, I feel that, I'm allowing that. And this is what's in front of me. So what is being asked of me? You know, I love thinking about it that way too. Like, you know, I say it kind of flippant, like, oh, the universe really has a high <laughs> level of trust in me. <laughs> But like, wow, you know, I'm here for, and I'm here for it. And like, yeah. if, if this is what is being presented, then there must be some level of, you know, the, I, I must be, I must be made for this because otherwise why would it be and why would it be presented to me?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that is speaking to acceptance.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about how, yeah, because you talk about acceptance and gratitude. And so talk to me about how those tools have come in for you.
1: Oh, they're so important. I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, acceptance really, I believe is 90% of the work. Oh, yeah. In getting there. And I think it's it, it presents itself as such work because we're in resistance. And mm-hmm. resistance is so much energy. Yeah. I mean, resistance is exhausting and I think once we get to acceptance, that's like your pivot point. It's like it's like being stuck in the mud, and then when you accept, all of a sudden, you're like sliding down a hill. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the wheels are in motion, and I think people really need to realize when you hit acceptance, that's when everything will start to flow and Mm -hmm. get actually easier. You're going to get to your answers faster. You're Mm going to find the people you need to find. You know, everything is going to start clicking and connecting, but you can't get to that path until you accept. And acceptance too is just about like the here and the now. Yeah. At this moment in time, I, like this is happening Mm-hmm. Accept that's it's, that it's happening right at this moment. It's like it's nothing more than that. It's just accepting the current state of affairs.
0: Yeah, people have such an interesting relationship with acceptance. You yeah. know? I mean, I and I get it. Like, why like it, you know, it can it can be really challenging. It, it can be well, I think people can get confused about what acceptance means. You know, acceptance right is not the same as like being excited about it.
1: No. <laughs> exactly. You don't, yeah. I mean, you don't have to be shaking your pom-poms with, you know, and, right. and like, yay, I'm so excited it's happening. Um, yeah, I agree. It's 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 really a neutral thing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Love that. I yeah. accept this as a neutral statement. Yeah. Um, and I also feel like, I think you're right. People have funny, not funny, but different perspectives on it. Mm-hmm. I don't see acceptance as surrendering. I think people work so hard in resistance that they just, they're like, ugh, screw it. And then you like lay down your sword and then like the fight is over and you've surrendered. That's not acceptance. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is just Acknowledging at this moment in time, this is happening. There's nothing I can do about it. I accept this so that change can come. But when we surrender to something, you know, you're kind of not letting yourself be open then to the future because the future is still unwritten. There's so much more that can happen after the acceptance point. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to surrender. Like for instance, I accept that my kids. Have Lyme disease, Mm -hmm. I do not surrender to the notion that they are going to be sick all the days of their life. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not a reality Mm -hmm. for me. I don't surrender to that. You know, I accept that my kids need to be on medication. Mm -hmm. I don't believe they're going to be on medication forever. You know, like they change, people change, hormones change, people grow. And just because we're on some type of med now doesn't mean we are going to be on it three years from now, or maybe we are. I mean, you just, you got to keep yourself open. And that's part of acceptance too. It's just a moment in time. Well,
0: and I think it's interesting, like the semantics of it, because I love the word surrender. And I hear what you're, how you're, you know, what, how you're talking about it as far as like, it feels a little bit more like, okay, I surrender, I'm done. But when I think about surrender, yeah, I actually think a lot Along how you're talking about acceptance, like I'm going to surrender to my, you know, my, my kids, you, you listen to my show with my daughter. So a lot of acceptance and surrendering to the fact that, you know, her journey, her path was not one that I can predict. It was not one that I saw coming, you know, and it even was not necessarily one that was easy for me to come to acceptance around. Mm -hmm. And so like for me, when I think about surrender, it's really surrendering, you know, surrendering my conditioning, surrendering my ideas around control. Um, But again, I think we're talking about the same thing completely because yes, that's what it is. It's just like, here we are in this moment. And as much as you know, the Buddhists say resistance is the resistance is the root of all suffering something like that yeah and it's so true and it's so painful when the people that we love and you can see them just in that resistance and it's like oh like it's a piling on right it's a piling on so acceptance and gratitude too talk to me about gratitude because i know i have my own relationship with gratitude just with everything that we've been through and man is it powerful
1: I think gratitude is so powerful. For me, I use it as a tool as kind of as a reset button too. Mm. I mean, it's something that I I practice every day, but I find it especially useful when I'm in a funk, when I need to get myself out of my funk, when I need to shake it off. I had a situation last month where I had come into close contact with someone that tested positive for COVID. And so it kind of put me in a place where like, well, I needed to quarantine and I was trying to get a test and I was getting so stressed out and it just messed with my head. And I was really projecting a lot of fear and anger towards everyone else that lived in my house and Mm -hmm. walking you know, in my house with a mask because I couldn't get a test. And finally, Monday rolled around, like that happened on a Friday, Monday rolled around and I was like, I need to do a three-minute meditation this morning and just focus on some gratitude journaling. And the gratitude helped me get my mindset straight. Mm -hmm. That's how I use gratitude too, Mm
2: -hmm. in
1: the reset button. And I do, I mean, I, I know during my hardest times with my kids, I am a big journal person. And I, I really wrote it all down. I wrote down all the suffering. And I was amazed at looking back at my journal that even then there were parts of gratitude mm-hmm. that yeah. I put in there. I think I'm just one of those people that like can find it a little bit easier, but I think yeah. it's important for everybody to
0: practice. Right. That's it too. I think it's such an important practice and I'm, I'm the same way, you know, it's interesting and it's interesting to talk to other people, I'm sure you've had this experience as well. When you share your story, there's a variety of ways that people will respond, right? Mm-hmm. And God yes. bless, God bless the people. Um, but I find myself, especially when people are, you know, I think they go into their own like, "Oh my God!" Like, how, like they go into their own like, "What would I do? How would I handle that?" And then they're in their spin out around them, responding to us. I mm. notice that for me I've spoken a lot into just I mean it like if it, there has to be purpose I feel like gratitude supports the idea that some of the really hard challenging things that there is some, I mean, I I can't define the rhyme or reason, I I can't name Mm -hmm. it, but Mm -hmm. when I can recognize like how strong my family is because of it or the depth of our connection because of it, it it allows me to release that like, but why, why us? You know, it allows me to just sit with like, oh my gosh, so
1: many gifts. Yes, kind of let go of some of the grief too somehow Mm -hmm. of of all that stuff, which actually, yeah, I do see that with gratitude. Um, And one other tool I just wanted to mention, Casey, is because we've talked about acceptance, we've talked about gratitude as empowerment tools and for Mm -hmm. me also tools for happiness. But the one that I think we've actually talked about through acceptance and gratitude is my third one, and that's forgiveness. Mm. That's where the whole letting go and grieving some of our, you know, letting go of some of our grievances, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, That piece of the empowerment toolkit is so important. I try to practice forgiveness so that I can heal myself. I feel like when we withhold forgiveness, we are actually harming ourselves. And I've just, with my kids, I've just really been on that quest for happiness and finding joy despite mm-hmm. everything that we're going through. And I, I have had to fold in forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a daily practice too. They don't call it practice for nothing, right? right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me more about forgiveness. So like, what does that
1: look like to you and your experience? For me, it's, um, well, it shows up in that so much of how I interact with my kids Mm. that has been harmful to them Mm -hmm. in their journey of mental illness. A lot of the things that I have said or done or maybe have participated in shame tactics. Mm -hmm. I know I contributed a lot to my daughter's perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So, so much of that comes from my own wounds Mm -hmm. as a child. Yeah, you know, and, and some of the things that my parents did to me, I mean, it's like all this cycle. And so for me to correct that behavior, my behavior, the behavior Mm -hmm. I'm talking about from order for me to correct that and correct that parenting style, I needed to have an awareness of why I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And then once you have the awareness, well, then you just have to add the forgiveness yeah. because I think there's parts of me that are, that were still angry at my mom mm-hmm. and we're still holding grudges. And it, you know, how those show up are in triggers yeah. when you're getting triggered by moments that are so harmless, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a harmless little comment that your mom said, or your daughter said, or your husband said, and you just have like this emotional reaction when you keep having those emotional reactions, your kids are responding to that. Yeah. Maybe not verbally, but there's a response in them too. So, see, there's like this whole chain of events that needs to take place. And I'll do anything to heal my kids. Mm-hmm. And if that requires me to do my own work in healing and forgive my parents or a friend or someone that's really done me wrong, by golly, I'll do it. Yeah. Because I'm really wanting so badly to support them. So it's like we all have to do our work. And that is where forgiveness has folded its way into my yeah. empowerment life. Yeah, <laughs> I love it.
0: I love it. And I love I love the focus on forgiving ourselves. Yes.
2: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter free. Feel like you're the martyr in your family?
0: I also, you know, as I was listening to you talk, I work with a lot of parents who, you know, especially right now with COVID and just the way of everything in the world right now, um, there is so much stress on our teens and they are responding the way that they know how. And I know that there's a lot of people in some pretty tumultuous relationships with their teens. And when you were talking about forgiveness, what came to mind for me was also, you know, forgiving our kids. I think that it's so easy, you know, even when it's not their fault. I mean, even when it's like something like a mental health issue or Lyme disease or whatever, yeah, And it's, it is a little bit like, come on, I was in this too. I, I, this was not the picture that I had I know. of parenting. And so I think if we're all willing to be super honest with ourselves and kind of do some exploring there, you know, part of, cause a lot, you know, I'll talk to parents about, well, you know, I hear you on all of these behaviors that you want to change, but what I'm also seeing and hearing is a relationship that is. That is, you know, damaged Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: coming back. and, And sometimes that first step in can simply being, you know, forgiving our kids for being for having only the skills that they have.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's important. And one of, I mean, I've, I, I, you know, I know my son is only twelve, but we've definitely had moments in our relationship where we should go to marriage counseling. (laughs) We're we're fighting like crazy, and we have done a lot of family therapy. And Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that was the game changer for me, in order for me to be happy, and come again from a place of neutrality, Mm -hmm. is don't take everything so personal, girl. I mean, right. Um, Yeah. Like forgive them. But at the same time, when, you know, when his 12 year old mouth is running, this has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Right. Nor does it have
0: to do with like, it's not a respect conversation. That's when I hear a lot is like, you will be, they're so disrespectful. (laughs) It's like, yes. And let's reframe here. Yeah. 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 It's tough. And I love that you are bringing it back to like that inner work and the, the work that we have. And I think that it's all relative, right? The collective experience, we all have the collective experience of raising kids, and there's similarities on the path. And then there's the special little nuances and flavors that, you know, people get. You have yours, I have mine. And um, I think it's so easy as moms, especially. And it's interesting that we're having this conversation because I just interviewed someone this morning who wrote "Fed Up: The Emotional Labor Book." Um, yes, it's very, very good. Gemma Hartway Hartley. Yes,
1: I've I've seen her speak actually.
0: Oh, cool! Well, she's, yeah, I interviewed her earlier today, Amazing. and we talked about you know, the emotional load falling on women and, um, you know, and when our kids are having and going through stuff, you know, you didn't share very much. I'm sure that your husband was a great supporter, but you didn't share very much about him. You know, you were the warrior mom finding what needed to be done, finding the people. So, and I asked you at the beginning, like, how did you, and you talked a little bit about tapping out. And um, I think it's so easy for parents especially parents with kids that have any kind of unique needs to really put themselves to the side. And I think even if you're just a, just a parent with a teenager, who's typical you all listening to you too, you know, Mm -hmm. this self care is non-negotiable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've
0: had, yeah. Talk to me about how you coach people around that.
1: Um, this whole self-care, self-sacrifice thing, I mean, that's huge right now, right? Um, And I have had to realize the hard way that self-sacrificing practices are not, they're not only harmful to us Mm -hmm. because they're exhausting. They lead to nowhere good. No good comes out of it for us. Yeah. But worse than that, it is harmful to our kids. Um because what like we start doing it because we want to help them and we love them and we tend to their needs and we then start putting them first, but what we actually start telling them is baby, you can't handle this. Mm-hmm. You can't handle life. Mommy's going to do it for you. And I really did fall into that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really did embrace my other, my work mm-hmm. and my job as a commercial real estate broker is because it it gave me the opportunity to kind of balance some of that out. Had mm-hmm. I not had that, I think it would, my whole self-sacrifice formula would have looked a lot worse. Yeah. But um, we start giving them the permission to keep doing it. And to not be capable. And at the end of the day, we just want our kids to be capable. Mm -hmm. And we need to believe that they're going to be okay. And we need to start treating them that they can handle it and start Mm -hmm. believing it. Because when we do that, then they start believing that they are capable. Yeah. So it's a terrible message to send to our kids um, when we participate in self-sacrifice and not caring for ourselves. And and also just to add to that, we start modeling mm-hmm. not to take care of ourselves. We yeah. start, and that's why self-care is like even a phrase, because we all right. forgot how to take care of ourselves. Right. Because we keep having these cycles of watching our parents not take care of their themselves and mm-hmm. and and making this world of self-sacrifice. And then we end up teaching it. So yeah. I mean, that's why it's a thing now. And so we don't want to teach our kids that everybody else comes first and then you tend to yourself. We can't, we can't go on like that. So it really starts with us, right. Yeah. In breaking that cycle, taking care of ourselves and kind of modeling that for our kids.
0: I love that. I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board girl. Me too. I mean, I I don't see how I could have navigated the last four years of my life without a certain level of practicing, you know, and I'm a journaler too. I journal and I meditate and I've got some cards that I love and books that are inspiring to me and long walks. And I mean, I just would have been a wreck. I don't know how I could have, or or, I would be like, but life continues to life, right? Like life continues to unfold. And so I really am hoping that the listeners are, are really hearing. And again, another place to just take stock and be reflective and ask yourself if you're really struggling right now in relationship or just in the unfolding of life, what does it look like for you to take care of you? And are you making that a priority. And and if it feels like, well, I can't or there's no time, I would challenge you and I would
1: encourage you to look, ask for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I just want to mention one thing too because you had, and I I really want to share this with the listeners because I really want to share my truth. Right. When all this was happening, I you know, of course, I'm tending to my kids and I am trying to practice as much self-care and self-love as possible. And the one thing I did put on the back burner was actually my relationship with my husband. Mm. And um, it was just because our relationship didn't make the top two slots Mm -hmm. in the list. And I mean, I love him dearly. We're super committed, but it's interesting now where we are in the process of like, you know, we're, we're in the Lyme journey. My daughter's, you know, pretty much like 90% healed, which is fantastic. And we're at this place now where we've had to revisit our relationship Mm-hmm. And we just even a couple of weeks ago, we had this really truthful conversation of like missing the connection mm-hmm. because we hadn't been tending to the relationship. And I remember my husband struggling and saying like, "I just don't know. Like, if you're connected to me, I just don't know if you love me or you're not in love with me." He's like, "I'm just not feeling it." And I, I was like, "I can't believe he's saying that." And I had realized that. I had put so much love in myself, which is not a bad thing at Mm -hmm, all, but mm -hmm. that I was really on this quest of empowerment Mm -hmm. and he really felt like I didn't need him. You know, because Mm -hmm. I just had been going and and the and the train had left the station and he probably was left back at the train station. Mm -hmm. And so we've had to reconnect. And that's just the reality. When you have these issues with your kids, and you know, you're trying to work and you're trying to help them and help yourself and manage, these things happen. And it's just now I think the universe has made space for us to like get this relationship back into like clear connective mode. Mm -hmm. But it's not easy. And I don't want people to think that like, I went through all of this without that being a struggle because the relationship with my husband has been a struggle. Um, But that's the reality. And, you know, you just keep working on it. Yeah. And same, you know, I mean, that's, I remember a few years ago when
0: high school started and things started feeling like, whoa, we're on a ride here. And we went and saw a marriage counselor and that was the first thing she said. She said, you, your job when you have teenagers is to work on your relationship with each other. (laughs) Otherwise, you know, and that was before we knew there was any mental health stuff going on. But, you know, that was, she was like, it's crucial. It's crucial because one, your teenagers do not need you all up in their business all the time. (laughs) And two- (laughs) Right. And two is because this is the relationship that will be there when the nest is empty. Right. Yeah. And so I really appreciate you talking about that because I think you're right. And I it's and I think it's a dance, you know, and I was picturing when you were talking about it. I was like picturing the like holding um a bunch of balloons, like inflated balloons and you have you know, each member of the family is a different balloon, and sometimes there's different times when different balloons are closer to your hand. I don't know. That was my visual. Yes. But wow. like your husband was just that. kind of out there for a little while, yes. as he really tended to the ones. And mm-hmm. and and but you still are holding that thread, right? We're still holding that thread, and it's just a matter of tending to the thread and pulling it back in and doing the work. Not easy, messy, vulnerable.
1: Yeah, And
0: like you said, especially when, you know, like we are in a solid committed relationship and that is intact so much so that we can say, wow, I'm feeling disconnected,
1: Mm -hmm. right? Like
0: I'm feeling like, what can we do to tend to this? So thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you my last question that
0: I asked to all my guests and, um, Considering all that you've shared in the context of your story and your work, what does joyful courage mean to you?
1: I love that term. I love the title. I mean, for me, it's like, how do you want to live your life? You know, in love or fear. And I love the two words together because it gives you the permission to be joyful and loving and add some fun into the fearful moments of life where you need courage. Yeah. So, I mean, joyful courage to me is like, that's how I want to live. That's yeah. what I want to model to my kids. Love it. Um, love it so me much. Me too. Awesome. Talk a little bit about where people
0: can find your show and follow your work. And so and and I want it, I want you to be
1: explicit about what your offerings are too, because you have the podcast. Yes. I have the podcast, Very Happy Stories. I am launching season two next month, but Very Happy Stories is on. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcast. And I'm also on social media. It's Very Happy Stories on Instagram, Very Happy Stories with Wiza Blass um, on Facebook. And what I am offering on my website, which Mm -hmm. is veryhappystories.com, is a free download. It's my Thrive Guide. I basically put all my best practices into this free downloadable guide to Beautiful. kind of like kick off your journey, you know, out of survival mode and into thrive mode. And mm-hmm. then also I am um, working with clients already in helping them thrive. I call myself a thrive guide mm-hmm. and um, there's different variations of what I do, but most of the time it's when people just got a diagnosis mm-hmm. of ADHD or, you know, something that's really rocking the world, mm-hmm. chronic illness. And I kind of assess the situation and, and, and bring in the calm in the chaos yes. and say, look, I know you got a lot going on. Here are your three top priorities. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, and yeah. kind of give them that map when you're Mm -hmm. drowning. Yeah. And then I work with some other clients that are now like kind of in good survival mode. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, I really want to get back to work. I really want to be doing something else. And then I kind of help them navigate them with a map on how to get to the thrive mode. Awesome. Yeah. So that's what I do. And I would love to work with your listeners. And um, it's just been so fun to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, thank you so much for coming on and spending time with me. And listeners, all those links will be in the show notes so you'll be able to find Liza. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay in touch.
1: Absolutely.
0: I will. All right to thank you again for listening and don't forget you can get the seven tips for connecting with your teens as well as podcast updates and offers from joyful courage plus some humorous stories straight from the trenches of my life by joining my email list joyfulcourage.com email that's joyfulcourage.com email do it now so you can be even more connected to all things joyful courage And be sure to follow me in all the places. I love connecting with you on social media. I try to post things that add value to your life. So find me on Instagram, find me on Facebook. Don't forget to check out the membership, right? The membership for moms of teens and tweens at joyfulcourage.com slash LJC. Enrollment closes the end of July. If there were any links that I threw at you about parent education, or the membership, or the email. Just know all of them are in the show notes. So check the show notes if you didn't catch the links. And friends, take a deep breath. ride it into your body. Release, find ease, find your balcony seat, lifting up and out for perspective, and trust that everyone and everything is gonna be okay. Big love to all of you. I'll see you next week.